Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family. Welcome to episode 11, season four of This Spiritual Fix. Today, we are talking everything NDE or near-death experience with a slight touch on OBE or out-of-body experiences. Enjoy this conglomeration of a number of different inputs, including stories from NDEs from Brock Aho, as well as an interview with Joyce Anastasia. More info on how to get in touch with them at the end of the interview. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Today we're going to be talking about near-death experiences. A near-death experience is a state of altered consciousness that occurs in the context of a life-threatening event, such as coming close to death through heart attack, drowning, accidents, and they are states of altered consciousness with a unique sense of realness. It has been estimated that 20 to 50% of adults who come close to death have a near-death experience, whereas 85% of children who come close to death have a near-death experience. We can assume that near-death experiences have existed for as long as man. However, the term near-death experience wasn't coined until 1975 by Dr. Raymond Moody, a doctor here in Georgia, who wrote the book Life After Life after researching and also experiencing directly what happens when a person dies. His work was met with a lot of criticism. However, over time, it has been recognized that characteristics of near-death experiences are almost universal. While not everyone who comes close to death will remember a near-death experience, or NDE, universally, there are similar characteristics. These characteristics include, but are not limited to, visions of a supernatural light, a complete loss of the sense of time, peacefulness, deep joy, a sense of unconditional love, empathic fusion with the whole world, a clear perception of reality beyond the ordinary world, understanding everything about the universe, an encounter with entities, deceased relatives, or religious figures, the 360 life review, and often having a choice of coming back to the body or not, and also returning to the body with supernatural powers. The facts I'm presenting in this intro come from a variety of sources, including medical journals, research studies, and personal accounts, all of which are going to be linked in the show notes. 
it's interesting to notice that across cultures, near-death experiences don't necessarily differ too much in content in the sense that there's often tunneling. If you are not familiar with tunneling, tunneling is the experience reported by many who've had NDEs of being aware that they are not in their body and seeing darkness with a pinpoint of light. The pinpoint of light seems to come closer. They are pulled towards it. It feels somewhat like a highway or tunnel. And as that pinpoint of light expands, they are often met with a benevolent being, a religious figure, an entity, or deceased loved ones. For example, in 1992, a man in Africa was attacked by a lioness and he had a near-death experience. He says, quote, I could see myself going into some kind of trance. A highway suddenly opened up before me. It seemed to be going endlessly into the sky, end quote. Another interesting point to notice is that children have more near-death experiences than adults, a rate that is more than twice as high for adults, and they tend to be more concrete and less complex. Children who have near-death experiences often report seeing deceased loved ones and pets or relatives they've never even met. Dr. Long, a near-death experience researcher, says that many children will tend to withdraw from sharing their near-death experience because their family is not open to it, and talking about it can be traumatic when they are met with disbelief. In a Dutch study conducted by Dr. Prin van Lommel, he investigated 344 cardiac patients who came near to dying, and he found that of those, 50% did in fact have a near-death experience, meaning that they were aware of being dead and they had some sort of profound experience. 56% regarded it as a positive experience. 24% reported having an out-of-body experience, 31% described traveling through the tunnel, and 32% spoke of interacting with deceased people. I think it's important to note that another study conducted by Dr. J. Owens in 1990 found that there is a distinction between a near-death experience and an out-of-body experience. For example, he discovered that in 58 patients who experience an NDE, 30 of them, in fact, were not close to dying. So there is a phenomenon that occurs where someone will have an out-of-body experience even though they didn't technically come that close to death. Out-of-body experiences, or OBEs, are commonly a part of NDEs, but they can also be different than an NDE. OBEs include autoscopy, which means to see one's body from above. It feels like an otherworldly event, and neuroscientists have discovered that OBEs happen in settings other than near death. For example, 40% of people have experienced sleep paralysis at some point in their life, and OBEs are common in those. And for those who love science, researchers have demonstrated the ability to put someone into an OBE by stimulating the right temporal parietal junction of the brain. Meaning you can induce an OBE artificially. The temporal parietal junction is the part of the brain that collects information from the thalamus, the limbic system, and the senses. One thing that I find extremely interesting, as I myself had a NDE slash OBE, that this phenomenon is not universal, but only occurs in 20 to 50% of people who come close to death, that we don't have as much objective data as we do subjective data, meaning we have anecdotal information and case studies. However, one study that was published in the Department of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences reported that 122 survivors who did in fact experience an NDE reported that the experience was more real than this world. They completed a memory characteristic questionnaire for three different types of memories, and they discovered that the score was higher for the NDE memory than for that of real events or even imagined events. This data suggests that memories of near-death experiences are recalled as more real than real events or imagined events. 
So going back to the characteristics of a near-death experience, what do they usually include? There's an amazing TikToker named Brock Aho who actually gives case study accounts of multiple people with near-death experiences, and I will link his TikTok in our show notes. But to give you a sense of what they look like, they usually include one or more of the following characteristics, which I'm going to explain. Number one is the vision of supernatural light. People who experience NDEs often report being engulfed by a supernatural light or being pulled towards one, AKA tunneling. Two, a complete loss of the sense of time or that time goes by at a much accelerated rate. Or as I've experienced it, a sense that time doesn't exist in the way we're used to. Time either seems to slow down or a multitude of memories and experiences can occur in the equivalent of two seconds. Number three, peacefulness. People who've had NDEs will report a feeling of peacefulness and unconditional love and a sense that it's okay to die. Number four, deep joy. Number five, empathic fusion with the whole world, a sense of interconnectedness with everybody. This was actually the key component in my NDE, which I will discuss in a few moments. Number six, a clear perception of reality beyond the ordinary world. A lot of people will report feeling like they are finally home or that they remember this place, that they have been here before. And as I stated earlier, the memory is more vivid and it feels more real. Number seven, a sense of understanding everything about the universe. That is, all secrets are revealed to them. And oftentimes people come back saying, everything was revealed to me and I understood everything. And now that I'm back, I don't remember. Number eight, encounter with entities or deceased loved ones. Oftentimes people will talk about a large loving being that seems familiar to them. Others will recount seeing religious figures, which is obviously based on cultural and religious context. People report meeting up with people who have died previously and even animals. Number nine, the 360 degree life review, which I'm going to explain in a moment. Number 10, returning with supernatural powers. Today on this episode, we are interviewing someone who had an NDE and she reports that when she came back, her psychic awareness was heightened. There are a multitude of people, usually those who have experienced more than one near-death experience, reporting that when they came back, their intuition was enhanced or they were able to see and perceive things that they otherwise could not. And number 11, a sense of having a choice. Oftentimes, people report getting to the end of the tunnel or having had a conversation with some entities and then being told that they have a choice or it's not their time and they need to go back. When they are presented with a choice, they will often report seeing two different versions of reality, like a world in which they returned and what happened, and then a world in which they did not return and seeing their beloveds mourning them. Obviously, we only hear back from the people who chose to come back. And finally, number 12, an impact on life. In this situation, people who have had a near-death experience often report that it has somehow changed their life in some meaningful way. It may have turned the atheist into a believer. It may have turned the pessimist into an optimist. It often relieves people from a fear of death and a fear of being disconnected. In more than half the people who experience near-death experiences, they will report it enhancing their meaning of life. Now I wanna go back and talk about the 360 life review. Not everyone who has had a near-death experience will report having this. 
There was an author and motivational speaker named Danny and Brinkley who had three near-death experiences and is a Vietnam War veteran. And he reports that with every single near-death experience, he did in fact experience the 360 life review. Other people report having this, but it is not a universal experience among NDE survivors. The 360 degree life review is when you are presented with every choice that you've ever made and also how it affects those around you. For example, Mr. Brinkley saw how all the people that he helped save in Vietnam's lives were affected and their families' lives were affected, but he also experienced the suffering of those who he killed. And then he experienced the sadness and grief of the family members of those victims that he killed. So he reports that the 360 life review is a way for us to reflect upon all the choices that we've made in our life and how they affected not only people directly, but the domino effect of our actions. And he, as well as others who have experienced the life review says that what this does is it puts incredible weight on every single choice that we make every single time that we choose to withdraw instead of love take instead of share, have a meaningful impact on a person or not. It has a domino effect across the entire world. And the 360 Life Review helps us understand that we are part of this concept called one mind. The concept of one mind is this idea that the world is like a diamond with multifaceted sides and we are all connected in ways that we do not know. And now Brock Aho. This is Ned Dougherty. He got into a fight with a business associate, had a heart attack, and what he saw while he was in the ambulance was pretty astounding. He said it was like the darkness of the sky turned liquid and curled like a wave forming a perfect tunnel that stretched into the heavens. Then a mass of luminescent blue energy came down the tunnel toward him, took the shape of a human being, and turned into his old friend who had been killed in Vietnam. His friend told him telepathically that it was important for him to remember everything he was about to experience. Then he was enveloped in golden light, and he says he felt the presence of God. Then his friend came back and they descended into the stars. He says there was a deep void, but he felt very comfortable there. Directly below them was what he described as a celestial amphitheater. And it was filled with thousands of spiritual beings. He noticed a group of beings approaching them. And he recognized people from his life on Earth and also people from his spiritual life before Earth. A lady of light approached him. She started telling him about the future of the world. She showed him that the axis of Earth's rotation was going to shift. Giant tidal waves destroying cities. She said these things didn't have to happen, though. She said if mankind began to work with God's plan through meditation and prayer, we could avoid those things. Then she told them that a major terrorist attack may befall New York City or Washington, D.C. Dowdy published a book about this in March of 2001. After this experience, he sold his nightclubs, gave up his partying, and started doing a lot of charitable work. Hi, Anna. Hey, Christina. I hear that we're connected in ways that we don't know. <laughs> that's true the the one mind as they call it yes the one mind i definitely can relate to that feeling that's so interesting and i love all those facts that you just told us on ndes uh, have you ever had tell me a little bit maybe have you not had an nde but maybe an obe you could talk about you know it's funny because what I've been experiencing these last couple of weeks in the ketamine is I keep trying to have an OBE and I'm like, I want one, but no, I can honestly say that almost all of my experience exists within. And like, I'm very able to still sense my body, like even when I'm things. So I can say from my perspective, I'm just going off of this, like, that's really fucking cool. You know, one of the things you guys will hear in the interview is that, you know, Joyce talks about how 
NDEs in particular are really tough. Like they're not necessarily all like beautiful, wonderful like experiences. Um, even when you do get a psychic power, you do get something out of it. But you know, I've never had one, so so I, this is all in this is all you, Anna. All right. Well, I actually before we start talking about my experience, I want to share a story of a not so positive NDE. In fact, yeah. In fact, 20 to 50% of people who die or come close to dying have an NDE and 56% of them report that it is a positive experience. That means that there's 44% of people now that, now that study might not be like the, the only study, but that means that there's a lot of people out there who've had an NDE and it wasn't a positive experience. And I actually know of somebody and I wanted to share their story just to give an idea of like what an un, an, a not positive NDE could look like. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so I had a patient who had a heart attack and he died. I think he died for like seven minutes or something and he was revived and he went through and he was in the ICU and then he was an inpatient and outpatient and then um, outpa outpatient rehab. And then I started seeing him in the home. And one of the things I love to ask my patients who come close to dying is, did they have an NDE? And I love it because just like the study shows about half the people I talked to do of these one told me about his experience was actually very negative. And I wanted to talk about that real quick because there's a lot of shame in it. Uh, there's a lot of shame in like not having the blissful NDE. Okay. So I asked him, what was your NDE? And he said that he died. He went through the tunnel and he met up with another being. Then this being shared light on a bunch of people in his life that were not trustworthy. And he showed them all these things that these people had been doing to him behind his back and that they were not good people. So when he came out of his near-death experience, he actually broke up of his part with his partner of many years. And he said that upon discharge from the hospital, as he was leaving, he glanced at the information desk and the man working at the information desk that admit helps people in, when they enter the hospital was actually the being that he saw in his NDE and he gave him a knowing look. So he told me that he thinks that the, the, the intake or the intake information booth guy at this one hospital here in Atlanta is actually like a messenger type being anyways. Whoa. Yeah. Anyways. And I said, so the NDE wasn't positive. He goes, well, it was positive in the sense that like, I cleaned up a lot of really bad people in my life that I didn't know were bad. And, um, in that respect, it was good, but it was also really hard because it forced me to cut ties with a lot of people that I had trusted. And part of me, I'll be honest, part of me was a little worried. Like, what if he just was delusional? Like, what if these people were trustworthy and he just had like a really bad, you know, NDE, like a hallucination. So I asked him, I said, um, are you sure that the message you got was accurate? And he goes, well, the man at the front desk um, was kind of like verification that I did see what I thought. And he ended up investigating the things that he was shown in his NDE. And he said that, yes, these people in his life were, were, were trustworthy. And the kind of the sad part about it is he was now rehabbing from a heart attack and he had no support because, because he had cut ties with all sorts of people in his life. Wow. Yeah. Those experiences are just so interesting because there's so many questions that I bring up, right? One, you know, like I want to go to the hospital. I don't, I'm not going to say the name of the hospital to protect this guy's privacy, but like, I want to go to the hospital and be, go talk to this guy. Well, not only that, but just like the whole, like, 
Like I can tell you that I talk to a lot of clients, right? And they're always just like, why am I running into this person? Why am I doing that? You know, why am I doing whatever? And it's like, if you've somehow gone down a path so far that literally no one in your life is someone you can trust and you have to have an NDE to pull you out of that time, like to pull you out of those interactions, like, holy shit, like what signs were happening before that right, experience, right. right? That So you didn't have to have a near-death experience to kind of like to pick you up by your shirt collar and drop you somewhere else. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, well, I've had I've had sleep paralysis a few times, as I mentioned in the thing. Forty percent of people experience it. I didn't necessarily have had, had I didn't necessarily have OBEs in those. I felt very in my body, but I did have I have had two OBEs. One of them happened when I was on the back of a motorcycle in Kathmandu, Nepal, and we actually had a crash. And I flew through the air, but when I flew through the air, I was actually. Um, I was actually catapulted outside of my body. So I was like four feet above my body, looking down at my own body. And then as soon as I crashed and landed and recognized that the body wasn't injured, I, I like quickly in the blink of an eye fell back into my body. So it was like, it was kind of like I've catapulted across the highway, um, you know, I don't know, five, 10 feet and my body went above it like an arc. And then I kind of like landed, landed back in your back body. in your body. Yeah. It and reminds me of Dr. Strange when like you get your astral body pushed out of your body by like yes, the It's like really an accurate representation of how it felt. And one thing that was interesting is that when I was propelled in the air, that, that thing that like time doesn't exist or time is not what you think it was. I had so many thoughts. Like I had the equivalent of 10 minutes of thoughts like, oh my God, we're having a car, um, we're having a motorcycle accident. I hope we don't get injured here. I, you know, like I had, I had so many thoughts, but it must've occurred in like the time span of like a second. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was an interesting one. So my second out-of-body experience, which wasn't really an out-of-body experience, it was a near-death experience, but I actually don't know if I came that close to dying. So I think I'm in that margin of people who like come really close to dying and have an NDE but or an, an OBE, but they don't necessarily like need to have CPR or something. Right. right? They're not like resuscitated. They're not, they don't need right. other. Like, I wasn't brain dead for like a minute yeah. or anything. Right. So um, what happened was, is we were in Hawaii and there was a whole area of the beach that said, do not swim in this area, rip to hide or something. And of course, being, you know, a uh, 16 year old me, my brother and I were very rebellious and we just like, we're like, woo, these waves looks great. We're going to go swimming, you know, idiots. So we jump in the water and we start swimming before I know it, I'm like pushed down into the sand like I'm pushed down into the water and the current is so strong that I like can't propel myself back up there's a lot of twisting and turning and like not even realizing like what's up what's down what's left what's right there's just like sand everywhere um getting pushed and pulled everywhere and I'm really really struggling hard to come up not knowing where up is and so like going in all wrong directions and and I'm down there for a long time and I'm like this is not good like I'm down here for a long time and I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. And then suddenly this peace comes over me and I hear this voice, but it was like my own voice telling me, you see, this is what it's like to die and it's okay. And, and, and it was very calm. And I, and like, when I stopped struggling, it was like, I suddenly felt that peace that they're talking about. And yeah. this, like, it's okay to die. Like, like, it's okay. You see, like, this is okay. This is normal. This is natural. It's what we do. Like, this is okay. And then, you know, one of the characteristics of an NDE is feeling like you are, um, 
feeling an empathic link to all mankind. Well, that's what happened to me was that I'm in there and I had this deep knowing that all the people who've lived on this earth before me have seen this. They've died. They've entered this place of peace and that knowing of like, this is okay. This is natural. This is just what happens. And I had this feeling like I'm getting in, I'm like in on the secret. Like I'm in on the secret that everyone who's died on this planet before me has also been in on and probably also have experienced that sense of like, oh, so this is death. This is that big mystery that we all are curious about. And like, now I know what it looks like and how it feels. And in that moment, I felt so connected to all of mankind, like all the people who have ever died before me. And then knowing that I was also linked to everyone also who would die in the future because they were also going to see this secret. Like we were all connected through death. It was a really interesting experience and it, it would happen more in feelings and thoughts than actual words, but it was basically this sense of like, we're, we all, we're all going to experience this secret. And when we see it, we're all going to feel connected. That's awesome. That's really awesome. I can say that. I can say that like listening to that, it kind of like intellectually, stimulates me. I know that last night when I was, I was in my experience, like I definitely came very close to my fear of death. Like I could feel it in my body and I could feel, I like, don't even remember what happened, but I can tell you that there was like this overwhelming fear that it would be painful or blah, 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 blah. So it's like really interesting, you know, like kind of, I'm not going to say blah, blah, blah. It was like that it would be painful or that it would be difficult or whatever and it was really interesting because I couldn't get into it like I couldn't get into it in that experience but listening to you say that I'm just like okay I think there's probably something that I need to like pursue further right getting into what your ketamine experience um, or what no Come I couldn't on. get into the fear of death I couldn't get into like it was like a bubble that I couldn't pierce ah and now Brock Aho again this is Jane Smith. During childbirth, she felt and heard her soul leave through the top of her head. She found herself in a dark space she didn't understand, and that turned into a gray, misty sort of a place, which turned into a white light that enveloped her in ecstasy. Then she found herself in a meadow that was bathed in golden light, and she saw plants there that were emanating light from themselves, and they were made of colors she'd never seen before. Then on a hill in the distance, she saw about 20 people, and the second she thought she wanted to talk to them, she was in front of them. A taller 60-year-old man with the most beautiful face she'd ever seen approached her. She didn't know who he was, but she knew anything he told her was going to be truth. He told her she couldn't stay there. She asked him why things were so beautiful. Why hadn't she had to deal with all of her sins? He told her that sins don't exist there in the way that we on earth think they do. Then he showed her that the essence of her was the same love that she was enveloped in in the beginning of the story. Then she went back to earth and her baby was great. She was great. The following is an interview that I, Christina, did with Joyce Anastasia. Joyce Anastasia is a transformational leadership consultant, a peace ambassador of social healing, and a top trusted intuitive advisor. With advanced degrees and training and extensive hands-on experience in psychology, consciousness, and psi research, creativity, and innovative business processes, governance, and global ways of leading, Joyce evokes the best in people, encouraging power with collaborations, emotional intelligence, and ethically responsible decision-making from the personal to global. As a confidant, Bridging the seen and unseen realms, she builds relational trust with a customized blend of critical thinking and intuitive insights, together discerning the most optimal pathways for the greatest outcome. 
as the author of the book Extraordinary Leadership During Extraordinary Times and founder of Lead by Wisdom, Joyce specifically inspires entrepreneurs, conscious international leaders, and ordinary individuals to identify their greatest visions, insights, and divine gifts, to learn the most effective tools to navigate current challenges, to embrace courageous visions with their ethical implementation, and to leverage their most significant heart-based manifestation and positive impact on the world. Joyce's story of the three NDEs that she experienced are all very moving, and some of them include some triggering content, including domestic violence, violence towards women, as well as birth trauma. So please take care of yourself and do what feels right in terms of listening to this moving account. Hi, Joyce. So I'm going to start off and ask you specifically about NDEs and about your NDE experiences, your near-death experiences that you've had. You described that you've had three different NDEs. Can you give us um, some some context for how you've had three in your life? That seems like a lot. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. I, my my hope is that people will not have to go through the trauma of NDEs and and actually experience the beauty of them without necessarily having to have a two by four across the head. (laughs) I would completely agree with that, right? I think in some ways it's almost become a romanticized notion because everyone just assumes that you come back differently and that you have all these things, but like the reality of it, I can imagine is not like that at all. Yeah, in a lot of ways it isn't, although it is deeply, deeply appreciated, of course. Um, yeah. it, it is a way that, in a customized way, people experience it differently. And so for me, the first NDE I had that I did not recall until my third one and tried to verify it with my parents, my mom, uh, was at birth. My mother is my size, very tiny, five foot one. I think she weighed under a hundred pounds when she was giving birth to me. She was surprised that she was gonna have another, her second child back to back from her first without having a chance to get to know her husband a little more Mm -hmm. before having to take on yet another child. Because of my mother's smallness, they, the doctors thought it would be best to give her gas. At that time, they were not separating her size from what they gave her. So they gave her the amount that someone who was much heavier than her might have taken in. Because of that, she couldn't push. And also because of that, she started um, vomiting and in the womb I was choking on her vomit and and literally like went out like literally went out of her womb and this angel said to me oh hello you're not supposed to be here what are you doing here and uh and of course the 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 angel knew but the angel basically basically said to me surprisingly you have an opportunity to go back or come with us and i jokingly said 
Are you kidding me? It took me so long to find these parents. I am definitely going back in that womb. And that was my first NDE. Wow. Wow. And, and it spoke to a lot of different things. It spoke to what I believe in talking to many people about NDEs that I likely had had many lifetimes before that allowed me to make that choice in the form of a fetus because I hadn't fully connected my spirit to, to the fetus, the sacred vessel yet. Yes. So it was a wonderful experience because I was choosing life yeah. at a very early age. Yeah. yeah. So that was number one. Okay. Now, the fallout from choosing life after almost being suffocated from vomit was that I was born a colicky child and also had to be removed by forceps because my mom couldn't push. Right. Well, that affected all sorts of things with my brain and my, my being. And I had all sorts of allergies to, to everything. I couldn't drink milk. My parents couldn't find out, couldn't discover why I was having all these screaming episodes. Well, it was because my, my belly hurt because I couldn't digest anything. I that mechanism had been interrupted. So of course that had to be taken care of on the, on the physical level by having formula instead of my mother's milk by all sorts of things. Okay. So now near death too, I was around seven or eight years old and my family that was economically like lower to lower class to middle class. My parents had a really tough time making ends meet, but my father, because he grew up in a gigantic family of 13 said, come heck or high water. I am going to take my family on a vacation because we need balance in our life. So every year he would save up and try to take us on mini vacations. So we went to the beach on this particular vacation between my seventh and eighth birthday. And at that time, parents let their kids go off trusting that they would be safe and sound. And I was an adventurer. So I went running off, swimming in the water, not knowing anything about red, red tide. So here I am in the water being flipped upside down, knowing that I was a good swimmer and wondering what is happening to me. I knew that I was in trouble and I could not swim back to shore. I was flipped up in the air and apparently hit my head on a rock. I was knocked out. Once again, I saw an angel, but this was very different. It was what I felt like I was so conscious in my body that it felt really serious. Like 
whoa, I am in deep trouble. And I literally got popped out of my body again. And this time I saw a tunnel uh, or a, almost like a vortex, like I was being, I was being called to and brought to mm-hmm. this whole array of my relatives. And it was beautiful because I said, wow, hi, you know, grandma and, you know, Nana and Didi and, and all of my grandparents and uh, one of my aunts that I had a very deep connection with who had MS, who I had a very important relationship with because she was treated very horribly and the doctors and nurses spoke to her as if she was minced meat in life and as a little kid went to visit her in the hospital with my parents permission when she was in a coma and she um i wanted them to know that they were saying bad things about her and she can hear everything they were saying and they said no she can't and i said yes she can at whatever age i was right and they i asked her if she would please move her pinky during that time Mm -hmm. and i i had brought her a rose so when i was in the near-death experience she was in real life moved her pinky and everyone went berserk because they knew then that she could hear them and every nasty thing they were saying about her instead of honoring her being so in the near-death experience when she came up to me she handed me a white rose as i had brought to her in in our normal waking life so it was very it was a very beautiful reconnection in that space and similarly i mean there's so much to share about this but i'll just share the significant points for me in my life so the the angels surrounded me and said okay you had your reunion we're happy you got to see all these people but this time you're not given a choice you you have to go back this time your work is not done this was an accident you need to go back and I was very grateful to go back because I like both places and yeah. even though there I had many struggles in this life as a as a young kid um, I still was perfectly okay with going back, even though it was like a perfect world or seemed like a perfect, peaceful place. So I was brought back to my body, choking on water, not remembering much of what happened, uh, except those beautiful elements of seeing my aunt and, and the lifeguard coming up and like really worried about me and 
as soon as I choked, he checked my vitals and I was perfectly okay. I had wow. no break in my head, even though I know I was, I, I would have died yeah. had I not had that experience and, and been discovered by the lifeguard. And he basically said, you know, you can, you can go and, you know, where are your parents? Well, connect with your parents. Yes. It was perfectly fine. And so what happened after that is what is significant, Christina. What happened after that was just before that event, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. I was having a really tough time in school. I was very bright and intelligent, but couldn't read because I had dyslexia. So I was getting further and further behind in school mm -hmm. and felt really frustrated in my body that I know I know this stuff and why can't I keep up? I was reading at maybe a kindergarten or first grade reader with letters very, very big. And I ended up being asked if I would be willing to go to a speech therapist at school, which was socially like a kiss of death. Right. Uh, and, but I knew that I had to seek help. So I sought help there and I sought help with a cousin who was an English major, who was just a, a delightful and beautiful being in my life. So she taught me phonics, but it was still a challenge for me. So fast forward after this near death experience, not having any thought that it would have made any other impact in my life. And another cousin of mine came to our family and brought a book on Edgar Casey and gave it to my father. Mm -hmm. Now my father didn't read. He, he just didn't like to read. He would read a newspaper. He would read magazines, but he would not read books. So I was kind of befuddled as to why my cousin would do this, knowing this piece. So I saw the back of the cover and I listened to her and my whole body turned into a glowing light for me. Like, yeah. and I, saw while awake the angel come back and, and kind of flap her wings reminding me pay attention pay attention to this so I listened very carefully and was totally moved by what she was saying mm -hmm. so when she went left this book I snuck the book into my bedroom and I was supposed to go to bed at this you know, pretty early time. Yeah. And I couldn't read. Remember, I can only read first grade level or something like that, maybe even less. And magically, I was reading this very adult book that had normal adult size letters and read it in the course of three evenings in my bed till four and five in the morning every wow. day. Wow. I was so moved by it and so felt that that was my life. That was my life. 
what Edgar Casey was. I was very gifted with, uh, I want to say, extraordinarily heightened capacities of intuitive ways of being mm -hmm. and psychic abilities, yeah. which I think everyone has, mm -hmm. but I came in with a very large quantity of it and capacity to use it. So what the gifts were from this was I was encouraged to enhance that versus diminish it or tampen down that light within me. There were many other gifts too, but suffice it to say that that was the biggest one. Then the third near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to pause for a minute so you can ask me anything about the first two before I move on. Well, I, I, I have, I have a, like, once I hear the third, I think I have something, but it's interesting because I feel like for so many people I talk to that first moment, that first one, right? Where like you choose life is such a rare thing. There's so many people who still feel as if they have reluctance. I know I've shared that same feeling myself, right? That is such a gift to be able to, to be like, yeah, I, I not only am I here, I actually had a choice. I had an ability to go back and I decided not to. That's, that seems so huge. Um, and then interesting, obviously that, you know, with the second one, what I feel when I hear it is that it's like, oh, well, it was an accident, right? That some things happen in such a, such a way, but you're gonna be facilitated. You're gonna be helped to be, come back into the earth, even if it is something that is like one of those, what you would call a freak accident where everyone's, you know, and I know so many people, including myself, who have this feeling of like, I feel like I have this purpose, but what happens if I get sick and then I die and then I don't get to complete it, right? But I feel like that second one really speaks to the fact that, that if you have a purpose, it's gonna be facilitated. Yes, and to also ask for that facilitation. So when I was drowning, I definitely was praying. I was asking for help and and knew that, I don't know, for some reason I knew that if it was my time, it was my time. Yeah. But if it wasn't, then I certainly wanted to come back as, as whole as possible, which isn't always the case because part of the learning might be to have a disability to work through so that you can hone the rest of your personality and being to go to get back to source. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for those comments because it's, it's totally true. I totally resonated when you said them, my whole body was tingling. Like that is absolutely spot on. So the third near death experience was the most traumatic and it was precipitated by a choice that I made that was deeply related to the work that I do now, which is on leadership and understanding the notion that we are powerful beings. And the book that I wrote called Extraordinary Leadership During Extraordinary Times addressed this, but not directly talking about NDEs and how I became 
aware that it was even an NDE was this wonderful psychologist in Colorado called me out of the blue, said, I got a hold of your book. I work with prisoners in the prison system and your book just really expresses so many of the pieces that are as a result of having an NDE and being able to sort out how do we lead our lives in better ways. Mm. One of which is the first chapter in the book is called Consciously Choosing Power With Versus Power Over. I'm sharing this because this was the precursor. Yeah. I had fallen into a place of allowing myself to be powered over and to powering over my most ethical and moral and connected ways of being. And we all do this. We, we all could go back in our lives and look at, when did I get off track? When did I start let, letting people run my life? Mm -hmm. When did I start listening to other people instead of that still small voice within myself and my connection with spirit? So the precursor to this third near-death experience, what I consider the most significant one in my life, even though the others were beautiful and very supportive to me, this one was even more significant that I chose life. I chose to come back where I could have easily chosen not to. Mm -hmm. So the context is this. I had just gone, gone through a divorce. It was a very challenging decision for me because my husband is my ex-husband is a wonderful human being, but he would say this in public that he has manic depression and it was so severe that he could not keep a job for all sorts of reasons. And he was inadvertently trying to live his life through my energy and I'm a very giving person and, and my need was to put boundaries around, even with my dearest partner, mm -hmm. to not help him all the time when he was in that deep dive. So what I had, what the precursor to the divorce was, was I asked him, are you willing to seek help? Because it's gotten to a point now where I am so drained that I cannot help you anymore. And I, I am seriously afraid of my own health and well-being. And I need to do this so that we both can live our lives in a healthier way. He was not willing to receive help at that time. So I made the decision to get a divorce, which was one of the most difficult decisions of my life. Mm -hmm. But I knew it was the right one. And that story is a whole nother beautiful story of unfolding and being supported by the divine. So I left my job. I left my relationship. And at the time I was trying to piece together other positions so that I could 
financially sustain myself and have a roof over my head when my parents called me and said my father had cancer would you be willing to come up and help while he went through until he goes into remission I sat with it I wasn't sure if it was the right choice but felt like this is this is a great way that I could still support while being supported in what I was going through so I moved back up to New York with my parents and then my father went into remission and I was looking for a job I was a professor at the time teaching art and psychology and was I would say in a very vulnerable place yeah. because I was still concerned about my dad I still haven't hadn't grieved the loss of my partnership and the loss of friends and community in Florida where I had settled with my ex-husband for a number of years we were married for um, 15 years knew each other for 17 at that point and I started to look for positions and took the first thing that I was offered it was in a place I wanted to be New Mexico Santa Fe I was really excited about it but it paid poverty wages and I had already made double that salary the year before so it was this strange thing that was happening within me where I was not being discerning and integrating intuition, logic, and the support from spirit to make a choice that would be healthiest for me. Once I arrived, my boss started asking me to date him from day one and would not stop. And then because I needed this job in order to survive I thought mm, yes I thought air air quotes air quotes I finally said yes to him after about a year and knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do but knew that if I if I changed my mind it would completely threaten my position so somewhere in there I made a decision that I could not date him anymore and soon after that we were in a discussion we were working 24 7 we were working crazy hours because we were all taking on big roles we were taking on the role of full-time position I was being asked to chair the department the entire department he was going into a um, temporary deanship which was then his step up and we were building a new nine million dollar building I was the buyer of all the furniture and equipment and coordinating all the teachers in this space so we were essentially working crazy hours totally out of balance when this conflict between our dating and the work that we were doing crashed together mm -hmm. and he imploded and 
at one point I was at his home we were working he said something I I he said something about we need to start dating again something to that nature and I said no and I don't remember what happened after that but he started to strangle me and in his strangling of me he whispered in my ear I could hide you in the desert and no one will ever find you and in that moment of those words he was six foot something and 200 and something pounds and just in context in contrast to me I am about five foot 95 pounds I knew I was in deep trouble yeah. deep deep trouble and that he would murder me and could murder me in that moment and it all I could think of is there were a hundred and 50,000 emotions and thoughts and feelings and expressions within my being all at one time of how could someone who loves you or claims to love you do this act and say those words before he does the act he's going to do I don't I, I was in that yeah. moment of conundrum I lost consciousness in that moment was literally plucked out of my body this time it wasn't in it wasn't a a slow tunneling movement out it was I was literally grabbed and removed Wow. in that space then I once again saw the tunnel I saw beautiful lights and colors and was being comforted with the expression and I, I remember this very clearly now and I didn't remember it in the first expression of this near-death experience but I remember very clearly they were comforting me to say I did nothing wrong and it, it, it was this amazing thing of peace like ah like if it's someone were to bring it up like are you creating more karma by what you did they were saying this was not something you brought on to yourself right however the learning from it was later on a beautiful okay. thing yeah. so in that space so many things happened the first thing I saw was a book it was filled going from present moment backward in time of my whole life showing me first and foremost all of the ways in which I created beauty in the world oh wow and there were so many that it made me cry I just I was weeping the entire time this was happening and there, I was surrounded by angels and they were saying you see what we mean by this you have learned so much in taking this conscious life on earth a dual planet 
a challenging planet to be on. But then also, here are the ways that you might have inadvertently harmed people. Mm -hmm. We want you to see those too. And I did, and I took them on, and I, I saw them. I was able to take them in. And I was shown in that space how in then another lifetime, before my birth this time, that I was my boss's executioner when he had done something egregious, was egregious, what he had done in another lifetime. Right. But I was one of those guillotined, masked, masculine man pulling the cord. Right. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that I had to atone to that karma. What I was being shown very specifically was that be careful what you put a blind eye to. What did I put a blind eye yeah. to then? The very humanity of a man, even if he was guilty of whatever. Right. You see? Right. Now to get that in seconds, timing, seconds, timing. Yeah. Fast forward in this near-death experience, the next thing I saw, I, I was, because I took it in like, I take responsibility for having done that. I take it in and I'm, I'm not going to deny that that happened. I suddenly was surrounded by master teachers. Like one might say, Jesus Christ, uh, Krishna, Buddha, other female entities, names that I wasn't given but I knew at the time in the space I can't I can't remember it all but there were 12 in all as I remember and and they asked me would you like to receive downloads of information about multi-dimensional space and about our reason for being here and I'm sure my expression on my face was like, uh, yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, please. And they said in holding this, it will be maybe harder when you get back on earth to understand the context of things. But if you are willing to take it in, then you will be able to navigate on this planet in a different way if you choose to go back and you have a choice to go back. So then at that point, and many other things happened, as I said before, it was like 20 lifetimes in, it was literally seconds yeah, in yeah. real life. I said, they asked me, do you want to go back now? And I said, yes. And I said, but if I go back now, can you please help me out? Because I am still being strangled back in my body and I need some help. So they literally gave me instructions of what to do. Step by step. You put your hands on his hands that are around your neck. We will put 
our hands around your hands and give you the strength to remove his hands. Grab your purse for identity and run as quickly as you can and do not look back. I was popped back in and I did exactly that. Wow. And of course, in my body at that point, I was traumatized uh, by this experience course, and, yeah. and immediately did the actions in our world of calling the police. I ran to a friend's house and was supported in that way. And, and fast forward, this man was a very well-known person in the community uh, a an international lawyer, female lawyer who was studying and working with supporting people who were being abused in this way uh, as the Me Too movement did not happen for many years later. Yep. She flew out to ask me to speak with her, finding out from someone else at the school at the college what had happened and I basically said to her I don't want to spend the rest of my life in litigation about this and I was guided in my near death in my space when I was out of body not to this is not how I want to live this life I want to live it proactively I have already forgiven him, although I never want him to do it again. And she said, well, if you don't want him to do it to someone else, you should really go to court and make sure that he gets prosecuted. And I said to her, I really want you to think about this. He's prominent in the community. He has the, he, the biggest lawyers backing him up from a corporation that will service his lawyers from people he knows. Do you think my voice will be leveraged in a courtroom at this time with this climate to win that case? And if so, how long would it take? And she basically said to me, it would take about 10 to 12 years and I'm not even sure if you would win. Oh, wow. And so I said, well, in that context, then what would you do if you were in my shoes? And she said, off the record, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. So as a means to protect my physical vessel and my being, my supervisor, that man, who did that physical assault to me was allowed to continue just as he had been and I had to stay there until I could ask for support to get a means to leave my job and go somewhere else because first of all I didn't want my students to be damaged 
of course, already there were already repercussions of I was getting threatened with my uh, losing my job, that it was my fault, all these things that happen in contexts like that. So I chose to leave on my own regretfully because I love, loved, loved my students and teaching and the environment there. And I felt um, that it was a beautiful space, but it was the right choice. Mm. It was the best choice. And it brought me to the unfolding of my life, intersecting the spiritual with leadership and ethics at the highest level possible, both on an individual level and on a global level. Wonderful. That's really wonderful. That's not a wonderful experience, but it's wonderful what it's come to as a result of it, right? Yeah. Um, I know I'm probably not the only one who gets that injustice feeling when you're right to just be like, can, can you believe that? But then at the same time, I, it always feels very laced with that same thing that you're talking about, that moment of recognizing that that the judgment that we place on others and the kind of without recognizing all the bits and pieces and all the different repercussions that like using the mechanism the world has for us to get revenge or to get justice aren't always what is in for the best and highest good. Um, so, wow, that's, those are, those are very, very intense, um, experiences. I'm curious, do you believe that you chose at least that one? I, I can understand with the other ones, but like that, that, you know, in turn, I know, I know, but you, you were talking about choosing your parents and all these different things, like, do you think that in the trajectory of your life, this was just a timeline and you needed to learn the lesson and this has just happened? Because you mentioned that earlier, like that there was a choice that you made to go to New Mexico. And by making the choice to go to New Mexico, it pushed you into this kind of inevitability. Whereas if maybe you had gone to another, not that it's worth, you know, mm-hmm. in another dimension, that's already happened, right? We don't need to, but well, we're in this one right now. That's uh, right. We, with this awareness. Um, uh, so do you think that there was any awareness you had when you started the journey that these were going to be the mechanisms in which you were given greater understanding? Well, at the beginning of that journey to say yes to, let me just say New Mexico for now. Just say New Mexico. Yep. (laughs) It was, there was so much excitement about it and I knew that it would be significant, a significant learning experience. I mm-hmm. certainly didn't expect to be faced with a near-death experience, but I will say this, when I was on the calls for my interview, I already intuited that this man would want to date me. And it's, it's a bizarre thing to even say this now. I've never said that out loud, but I had this little small voice say that. And, and I knew if that was really conscious in me, if I brought that out consciously, I wouldn't have taken the position because I knew 
logically that would create some challenges. Now, I will also say that it was essential that I went through that experience as much as I wish I didn't because the greatest learning that I had was about we are powerful beings. I was powering over myself out of fear. Mm -hmm. So the most, the greatest learning for me and with my clients that I work with every single day about these disempowered ways of feeling or feeling like they're victims is every day, if I'm making a choice about anything, I will ask, Am I making this out of love or fear? And then a secondary question is this, is what I am about to do for the best and highest outcome for me and those around me? Mm -hmm. If I could get a love answer and a yes to both of those, it is a green light, green light, green light. Yeah. And it's not only a green light intuitively, but logically. We live on this earth plane. And this is one of the most challenging places to live in those decisions. You know, yes. we are not a theory. We are etheric beings, of course. We're, we're blessed souls on this planet. But in these sacred bodies and honoring both our, all of parts of ourselves equally, we don't, we can't just honor the spiritual and and be in llama land experiencing things we are experiencing here and now in the dense physicality of earth of sacred beautiful mother earth right what if we were able to bridge and call on the spiritual connection to the one without losing our uniqueness. I don't believe we have to lose our unique expression on this planet while being one. I think it's the opposite. I think the universe, and from my experiences and near-death experiences, is that they are as curious about how we are making choices in our life. This is part of creativity. This is part of creation. I don't have children, but I've heard many stories of, do parents think that their ch children have to be exactly like they think? Well, that would be a real problem, hey? Yeah. <laughs> right? You have your children and you are awed by how they are creating their lives. They become separate while still connected to you. Yeah. Always. They're never not going to be your child, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I see this the same as all sacred beings on this planet, including animals and creatures and even plants. We are sacredly created, and there is always a two-way dialogue if we wish to. And on this planet, there is a spiritual law, I believe this exists, that we have free will. This is our free will yeah. zone. So those in the spirit realm cannot interfere with us in our lives unless we ask 
them to and ask them in a way that is not like I want a Mercedes Benz tomorrow. <laughs> right? That's more telling, right? <laughs> right. Then to ask them instead, can you please help me to realize my best and highest outcome for my life and my life path? And in that context, of course, we're all going to experience struggles in our life. And maybe those struggles are exactly what is needed to learn and to hone our beautiful, sacred beingness yeah. integratively on this planet. Yeah. And then to have leverage to help others on this planet in beautiful ways, like you're doing with this podcast. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Do you think there are any wrong decisions? Well, there are harder decisions, maybe. That is a fantastic question. Hmm. In the spirit realm, looking on our realm, no. But in our realm, absolutely, there are wrong decisions because we are operating out of that duality. And when we get caught, we get hurt. When we get murdered, we no longer can use our sacred vessel to go forward. Mm -hmm. So that is an egregious action by a soul's expression in their physicality. And this is what some spiritual traditions called karma. We build our karma in that way. So the more that we become conscious of the decisions we make, we are much more likely to be able to make healthy decisions. And for me, in my work in the world, and at, from the corporate level to the nation's level, to the diplomats level, to the presidents and prime ministers, all the way down to you and I and Everyone else, no matter what they do, no matter who they are, we are each equal in our capacity to make decisions that are with no harm as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And that means not overriding, not powering over someone else's decision, not powering over <laughs> our own moral code. Yeah. You know, there, there are all, all these things in our world uh, that, that are humorous cartoons about the devil on the left side, the angel on the right side, who come over here, do this over here in that world of temptation, right? And we know in our hearts what the right choice is. We do. We all do. Well, is this going to harm me? Well, is this going to harm someone else? That's all we have to ask. Yeah. Can it be of love? True, truly divine love, not, not special. I'll love you and you'll give back to me. Right. 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 Very, thank you. That's a, that's a good insight. And, and it aligns a lot with the way that I kind of have seen it is in the way Anna and I have talked about it, which is, it depends on where you're coming from, which realm are you talking, you, you call them realm, we call them um, realities, which reality are you coming from? Right. Um, 
because there is there there can be a lot of pain um, in some of those decisions, right? Yeah. So did you develop? You you said that you came into this life with a lot of psychic abilities and a lot of things along those lines. Did the NDEs facilitate kind of ripening any of those, or did you find that things changed after those experiences as you integrated what you had come across? That's a great question too. I would say what it did, especially after the second one, was to allow me to step into being my full self yeah. and shine light on that gift versus there were so many people who were split saying, oh, she's of the devil. Oh, she's of God. Oh, she's this. Oh, she's that. When it brought me to a place of being very careful about discernment of where I got my yes and no from. Mm. I ended up having a very deep faith at a very young age without it being religious and hypocritical. And I had eyeballs for that. Like I will stay far away from hypocrisy. And so it allowed me to feel more comfortable with being in my body. It allowed me the courage, it encouraged the courage to speak truth that I felt and saw. And sometimes these messages are not always easy to handle. So that with my last near-death experience, what it did was to forge even more strongly to have the courage to tell people without filters what I was receiving for them if they came to me in that context for an intuitive session. And even if they got mad at me, don't shoot the messenger, so to speak, I also learned ways to deliver messages that would allow them to take it in in a better way, to absorb it over time, yeah. and to take pathways that would gently lead to their own awareness that this might be true. Anything that you would like um, us to direct our listeners to? Yes, and Christina, I really feel compelled to offer your listeners 50% uh, off of a reading for the next month or so. And, uh, and, and all they have to do is stay or write the spiritual fix 50%. And, and I will be able to uh, gift them with that. And they can come to my website, Lead by Wisdom. And I really highly encourage them, and not right away, but when, when they can, when they can take the time to look at my book. And even though it was published in 2015-16, it is so 
Hmm, I want to say apropos to what we're experiencing now. Yeah. And this is the book cover where um, I created this with my brother. And it is a very special form of art that he helped me to create. This was my vision. And he helped to put it into, instead of Adobe Photoshop, where it normally would have been created, He's a robotics engineer, and he did it with an engineering program so that the flower of life would three-dimensionally go over the earth. Yes. Look at it. It's not flattened. It's, it's oh, that's done beautiful. in a three-dimensional yeah. way. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I love so, it. Um, and it's really important to have people integrate their whole lives and what is important to them and always know that there is a is a miracle just around the corner for everyone so they don't have to have these near-death experiences getting knocked out getting traumatized but actually um like evoking it we have the capacity to evoke miraculous things in our lives Y'all heard it right here. Go to leadbywisdom.com and contact Joyce Anastasia for that specific 50% off of a reading. And both Anna and I had a reading and found it to be very profound. We highly recommend it and we highly recommend you using her if that is what you are called to do. We'd also like to let you know where to find Brock Aho's content. It is on TikTok and his username is rubelnoob, B-R-O-O-B-L-E-N-O-O-B. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Do you want to listen to our episodes ad-free or even get them early? Great news. We've set up a Patreon account. Patreon accounts allow you to support your favorite creators while enjoying exclusive perks. TSF patron perks include early releases on episodes, discounts on everything in our shop, and a bonus meditation each month. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash this spiritual fix or go to our website www.thisspiritualfix.com for a direct link. Enjoy! Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.